Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. And today I'm back here with Sam Baker. Sam, welcome. Ah, thanks for having me. And it's a great pleasure to also sit with you here in person again. Oh, th yes. Thank goodness we can do this again. <laughs> Sam and I have known each other for a long time. I would say around about, no, I was going to say 10 years. Maybe that's an exaggeration. Eight years, something like that. And we've also worked together for many years here to turn sort of Wunder Mobility into the company that it is today. And for about a year, maybe a bit less than a year, you've been working on a new quote-unquote project. Actually something uh, quite exciting and very relevant for our um, audience here also for our industry. Tell us what you are doing at the moment. Yeah, that's right. So um, for the last year, I've been working on a new venture capital fund called the Mobility Fund, which is focusing on investing in early stage European mobility companies. And the fund specializes in a very unique segment of the mobility industry, which we can talk about in a little bit. So you're launching a fund. There is a fund that has already existed, but you are taking it basically to the next level with those people there, like follow-on fund, bigger one than before. And uh, it's focused on our space and it's called the Mobility Fund. I was like, wait a second. So it's a mobility fund or it's called the Mobility Fund. You got that name? Yeah, so I'll, 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 be, I'll be honest. I don't think in the beginning um, it was the most creative name choice. It was maybe more of a project name in the, it, at the beginning. But uh, we were really lucky because we were able to reserve the name Mobility Fund pretty early on in the European context, at least if you go to Google and you type in Mobility Funding or Mobility Fund or something like that we come up at the top and that's been a huge asset for the fund and given us a lot of visibility for the relatively modest marketing budget that we have or basically non-existing marketing <laughs> budget that we have. Um, so we got we got pretty lucky in that regard. So it's an early stage venture fund called the Mobility Fund and uh, of course focused on the mobility industry. Are you, is that like the only hypothesis, let's go after mobility or are you chasing some more kind of deeper down hypothesis with that fund? Yeah, so I think it, you know, it's important to kind of take a step back because for me, this was a you know, very big personal transition going away from being an entrepreneur kind mm -hmm. of operator into an investing role. And the question was, okay, why even do that? You know, for me, I'm very interested in the early days of venture development. For me, it's very, very passionate about mm -hmm. that. I feel like that's something that I'm, I'm maybe yeah, particularly well suited to in terms of my personality. So I was kind of looking around at all, all of the, the various activities that were going on at the early level in mobility. But given the experience that we have here at, at Wonder in particular and the journey that the company's gone through, you know, one thing in particular, one theme really stood out in the industry of, of mobility, and that is that the emerging value chain, right? And so what we mean by the emerging value chain, and I think Wonder's a great example of this, is that, you know, end customers in their everyday see the big brands, right? Mm -hmm. And those are the really, the sexy companies, they're really cool, the tiers of the world, the Ubers mm -hmm. of the world, and those are the products that we consume and that we get you know, personally very excited about, myself included. Um, but we know, based on our experience, that there's so much going on in the background for delivering these mm -hmm. services, whether it's software or hardware or financing or insurances. I mean, there's just a, there's a mm -hmm. whole stack of stuff that comes together. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, the pioneers of the industry, the, let's say the share nows of the world, um, who've been in it from the very beginning, effectively 
had nothing, right? They had to build everything from scratch, literally like piecing together IoT devices and software applications, et cetera. But if you were to start entering the mobility market today, you'd have a like a diversity of different suppliers that you could work with that provide you those types of technologies. And the analogy that we like to speak to is the, the automotive industry. You know, it's common knowledge that if you buy a BMW, about 20% of that car is made by BMW. 80% is coming from component suppliers, which are kind of like the you know, the Bosch's of the world for radios or the Continentals of the world for tires, for example. And what we see and what we're most excited about is the, the emerging suppliers of the future of mobility, right? And this is um, something that has taken 100 years to develop in the automotive industry, but probably is going to take about 10 years to develop in, in mobility just because the pace of innovation and the cycles of innovation are only accelerating. And, you know, one of the things just to quickly mention about this emerging value chain and mobility is why a venture capital fund focused on value chain is because it's, from what we've seen, it's an underserved part of the market, meaning uh, not as appreciated from an investor perspective, because mm-hmm. they're maybe, to be honest with you, not as fun topics, <laughs> sometimes like very abstract topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, on, the, on the other hand, you know, why, our, why does our fund then also focus on European mobility in particular, right? And this is really important, is that we found that it's extremely high quality technology in Europe, given the strong history of, of transportation, particularly automotive industry, uh, strong base of education, quite the quality teams. But at this, but at the same time, um, for a variety of reasons, the 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 va- the cost of investing in Europe is significantly lower because the valuations are much lower. To be frank, so from an investor perspective, that's very attractive. You talked about that sort of B2B angle, um, the supply chain that's emerging, suppliers for new mobility services and so on, and sometimes less obvious uh, um, um, to find. So an opportunity maybe from restaurants. Also the European versus uh, maybe American angle. Uh, you're going to focus with the fund uh, on Europe. You are, um, you're American basically <laughs> originally, but you also spend time in Germany in high school and stuff. You speak kind of native level um, German. You're in between those um, two continents. Can you um, um, talk a little bit about um, how you see um, like opportunities for funding in mobility evolving where you see your opportunity with that new fund there? So Europe in particular is a really exciting market because from what we see globally, and I have a perspective because I spend a lot of time in the US now, It's probably, and some people are going to maybe complain about this this statement, but it's probably the most innovative mobility market, especially with respect to mobility services right now around the world. I mean, if you were to go, I'd like to give the analogy. If you go to Berlin right now and you throw a rock in any direction, you're likely to hit some sort of mobility service, whether it's a B2B delivery, last mile delivery, or you know sharing or autonomous vehicle pilot. I mean, there are certainly other markets where mobility is happening, but I mean, this, the density in Europe is off the charts. Mm. So that's something that I think we really need to acknowledge. Um, yeah, and there's definitely uh, a difference in terms of culture. I mean, I don't have you know every single data point to really substantiate this, but um, a general... A trend that we see is that there's a lot more of our type of investments available in Europe, meaning the sort of B2B technologies in the background um, than there are in the U.S. Um, they, there's a strong, I would say there's a stronger bias in the U.S. for consumer brands, um, you know, heavy marketing spend, sort of large valuations, big funding rounds, et cetera. And in, in Europe, maybe, maybe this is a hypo- my hypothesis, um, the, the historical context of being the basis for a lot of um, the automotive suppliers 
know, tech from a technology perspective, software and hardware has created a, a foundation also and a sort of a culture around sort of B2B technologies that go into the value chain. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it a particularly interesting kind of context for us to to invest in. And, you know, and I, and I mentioned briefly about valuations. I mean, this is something that's, you know, it's hard to understate because it's so important from an investment standpoint. I mean, you know, I want to, I'm passionate about cultivating, you know, the next generation of mobility technologies because I want to be a part of this, just like, you know, we are part of it together and working on Wonder. Um, but I also want to be financially successful at doing that because that's the commitment we have to our investors. I mean, I'm an investor in my own fund. And so I need to also, you know, be successful at it. And, um, and in order to do that, you have to, you know, buy low and sell high. And that's really like, sounds really simple and, you know, <laughs> but that's really what you have to do. So to be able to buy attractive prices in terms of valuations and be able to sell them at a higher price, particularly in B2B technologies, because they tend to be easier to scale globally because they're less constrained by geographies is part of kind of the core of our, mm-hmm. our strategy. And um, I, I don't want to name names here, <laughs> here, but literally this past week I had, I had the I had the exact, almost the exact same profile of company that I saw in the U.S. and in Europe as a deal side by side, and um, and again, I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna name names here, but the the revenue multiples that we could invest in, and a rev- revenue multiple, you know, just to quickly define that, I mean, you'd look at okay, how much money are you making in a year, and then how much do you multiply that by to get the valuation or the price that you would invest at for that company. The the European multiple was was one to two, and the U.S. multiple was like eight to ten. And that's a little bit extreme, but the sort of the order of magnitude that we see is like five five times difference, and that was more of a ten times difference. But it's a huge, huge difference. And okay, you could make the this is getting a little bit detailed, but you know you can make some argumentation that okay, is the U.S. ecosystem maybe more conducive to you know easy quote unquote easier funding? Although funding's never really easy, I think, but easier funding and scaling companies maybe, and maybe they can scale faster or whatever. But I don't see like an indication that that particular European company is at a massive disadvantage given where they're positioned. We didn't do a full introduction in the um, beginning, but I think it's maybe important to add just two, three elements when you talk about this difference between also investing in Germany and, and, and in the US. And uh, we said, okay, you are kind of an American by nationality, but you've studied in um, Silicon Valley and then you've worked as an investor in San Francisco before, also around the time when we first met. So um, having done that over there and knowing a lot of people and then kind of being on the other side, also us together and so on, you know, um, pitching to investors and, and working with investors on the board. What kind of um, VC or what kind of fund, what kind of investor are you going to try to be uh, now? Um, if you would describe like differences, because like buy low, sell high, it's like universal to everyone. <laughs> but like beyond that, uh, what do you think makes some differences between um, in, investors and what kind of investor would you like to be with the mobility fund? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's what I, what I'm describing there in buy low, sell high. It's like, okay, you know, we have our partners in the fund. And when we talk about what our objectives are, that's those the kind of things we talk about, right? Like what's our investment strategy, but then there's relationships that we have with businesses that we develop for basically a 10 year plus period, which is a long time you know, where we in, we're investing in and contribute, trying to contribute as much as we can. And the question is like, what type of relationship um, do we aspire to have there? And, um, you know, for me, if, you know, first of all, it may, maybe I'll, I'll just take one step back and explain to you like the very specific profile of company that we invest mm-hmm. in. So you understand like where these guys are at and gals are at. Um, so these are companies that are, again, within the mobility segment, 
typically within Europe, we do have some reserve for out of Europe, but it's predominantly Europe. They are late seed, pre-series A. What that specifically means is that they're in the topics of, you know, connected, autonomous, shared electric. Could be people, transportation could be goods. It's not really that important. They're doing a couple hundred thousand, maybe up to a million in annualized revenue. We've got five to 10 paying B2B clients that we can call and talk to and be like, okay, what, you know, what value does this product and service team, like, what do you, how do you like working with this team? We want to be able to talk to them. Um, and then they're typically raising a funding round um, the first time outside of friends and family for about one to two million euros at five to 10 million euro valuations. So if, if, if anyone is kind of in that range, that for us is like a highly, that's highly tuned to, to where our sweet spot is. And the value that we can bring is effectively you're coming out of like a proof of concept phase and you're starting to figure out, okay, how can I really start scaling this and making this more replicable? We've proven the product just to an extent, but we need to make this more replicable so that we can go into a Series A funding round and attract more generalist investors that can kind of take us to, to the next levels. You know, if, if all of these companies were growing 20% month on month in revenues, completely predictably, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't need us because then any generalist investor who can read a spreadsheet would come in and say, oh, this looks good. Like, let's go for it. But what we bring to the table is highly specialized knowledge in the mobility industry, fine-tuned network, global network for understanding, basically helping with like three things. And this is typically the three things I, I always find that founders really only care about, to be honest. I mean, first of it, you know, it's, we call it, we say cash. It's like, okay, where do I find my next investors? Either they tide me over to that time where I can get a, a, you know, get to the next round that's attractive and kind of launch, um, or um, just prepare for that that overall Series A. Um, the second is clients, like they want to get connected to sort of iconic, you know, companies that they can work with that can help ex- accelerate them, and that might be in European context or it might be in new regions, depending on what kind of industry they're in. And then the third is like um, colleagues, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's like recruiting at the end of the day, and like. Depending on the, the stage of the company, there might be sort of one critical hire that you need to bring in, right? It might be like that first like non-founder salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a critical like expert, like you want to get into B2G, business to government, and then you need that kind of profile that has had that experience in an equivalent company before. So we try to help out with our network. And I have a variety of examples of where we've been successful that I'm pretty proud of the, of the, you know, the help that we can provide. Um, but, but that's kind of who we're, that's who we're serving, um, from a company and a founding team perspective. Those are the types of things, the, you know, cash colleagues and clients that we can help with. Um, and, and particularly in that sort of that C to series A is where we can add the maximum impact. And then over time, I think it, it, it sort of decreases as, um, you know, larger investors and more prominent partners come in. What's your view on first time versus second time founders or serial entrepreneurs and The reason I thought about that is because the one to, if it's a second time founder, they might jump over the one to two million size round. Yeah, sure. Um, and just to be clear, I mean, we, we like to be transparent to, to explain where we've seen success, but we're not dogmatic about anything. And that's another thing that's important. You asked about what kind of investor do I want to be. Mm-hmm. We tell our investors and we tell the founders that we work with, like, We don't have target percentages for ownership. Okay. We don't have hard to find valuations mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, going back to, I know it sounds, going back to buy low, sell high. Like mm. if we think we can get a, if we think we can see significant appreciation and we can contribute greatly to that, like, you know, all bets are off. Like we could theoretically, you know, mm. throw any rule out the window, mm-hmm. except for if it's not in our, you know, our, the themes that we invest in, because that's a commitment that we have. We're not going to. We're not going to invest in, um, well, for example, we're not going to invest in a diesel engine 
in, you know, technology company because that's not that's not the fu- from our perspective that's not the future of mobility, but certainly not sort of completely random things like health tech or whatever, which we have no I have no business investing because I know nothing about. So, mm-hmm. so we talked a little bit about like the mechanics of a fund and hypothesis, but kind of very high level, top down. Um, and what I think is very very interesting in your work now that you come across so many concrete opportunities and you've done uh, you've you've placed investments basically mm-hmm. um, um, uh, um, previously from kind of um, a first fund now you are in the in the closing as far as you know for the larger um, second fund but also making investments from that already so um, can you share a little bit about some examples or uh, trends or surprises that you've come across in the last um, year or so um, most exciting companies you've seen um, that you've maybe also invested in? Yeah, sure. So um, so there, there's a lot going on right now in the industry. And, and at a high level, what we're, what we're excited about, you know, as investors is that there is no lack of opportunity, right? I mean, we're looking at, and, and we, we look at a hundred opportunities before we make one investment. And there are, there are plenty more that we don't we're not able to look at just because it doesn't it doesn't fit in narrowly enough into the scope. So so there's there's a lot there's a lot going on. So that's great. Um, Can you that, put I, even concrete numbers? So I, I thought I think that would be fun. Like if if you know this, okay. How many did you look at? Like how do you define look at? But yeah, roughly so, give us the numbers. Like uh, how how many investments were before that? How many cases did you? Uh, look at all that were sent your way. Yeah, so we actually do know that it's a one percent conversion. Okay. So I'm not talking about like, um, you know, we we open. So so it's basically two channels, right? We get we get through referrals, and then we get in like inbound organic, like through our website, because people literally search for mobility funding, yeah. or they come yeah. they go to our LinkedIn and yeah. they're like sending us messages. So we get probably like fifteen to twenty inbounds a day, mm-hmm. um, and you know, a lot of those are not. Kind of like qualified in the sense that they they don't fit within our investment scope, but that's you know a lot for considering that we're not really we're you know a relatively small seed fund. We are very niche focused, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of of the ones that we evaluate, meaning we're either going deeply into the business plan that they send us, or we're having a call, or we're going through due diligence, like a deeper due diligence. That's like a hundred to one, right? So we're looking at hundreds of deals every month. And then before we, we're making, we're averaging about an, one investment every three months right now, maybe a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. So we're taking our time mm-hmm. to really um, place place those bets. And then we also have to spend time on helping our portfolio, of course. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're just you know, chilling. Mm-hmm. But, um, so it's probably hard to mention one uh, sort of over the others, but is there some example yeah. that you can, can highlight here and why you were excited about those? Yeah, so I'll talk about the themes and then I'll give some specific investment examples. So, you know, one thing that we hear a lot in the market is, okay, like, isn't mobility like an unprofitable industry? Like mm-hmm. who's actually making money? So there are there are businesses out there that are definitely making money, but a lot of these technologies that are emerging are, you know, we're trying to figure out, right, mm-hmm. how, to, how to do that sustainably. And one of the key themes that we're really interested in with respect to the value chain is technologies that can improve the profitability of mobility, you know, of service, of mobility services mm-hmm. of the future. And one category is uh, fleet rebalancing. This is mm-hmm. a topic area that we're really keen on. Um, there's a company, I mean, I can name, name one example. You guys should check it out in, in Vienna. It's called Ubik. I think you, you've heard of them, um, as well. And they are doing something really interesting and there are other companies like them as well, but basically they ingest fleet management data from your, 
fleet management software solution and send um, tailored operation plans to your ops teams to, to tell you where to place your vehicles and when to maximize revenue per vehicle. And that's an example of a type of technology that we're really interested in right now and looking very closely at. Um, and I would you know, assume that we're going to make some bets in that general area um, in the near future, um, just because it's directly related to business outcomes. Mm-hmm. And then there is, I think, a valid criticism that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of business models that haven't quite been figured out yet. And then beyond that sort of where do you position vehicles, there's another topic, which I'm really, really excited about, which is, okay, how do you actually position the vehicles once you know where to put them, right? And so there's this, um, theory of, okay, well, maybe we could autonomously drive them everywhere. And we we have made an investment in an autonomous vehicle uh, business, which is doing last mile delivery, which is a company called Teraki in Berlin. And they just, for example, signed a contract with Domino's Pizza this past week. And they're starting, literally, I mean, there's videos of them <laughs> delivering pizzas with these little robots that are driving around. So that's certainly a long-term trend. But even maybe on, in the near term, maybe even more interesting, that is this idea of remote driving. And this is something that you might have seen with the, the guys with um, VAYV in, in, in Hamburg. And so this idea that you can still use human, human drivers and all the capabilities they have, but have people sitting in a call center driving cars through the internet is something that uh, Germany is surprisingly innovative in, in that you know, they've, they're starting to, to, to loosen the regulation so that that can be possible. And we think that that area is a lot more viable in the near term as a mixed solution to kind of get to a vision of long-term autonomy where you can you know, deploy humans and kind of human capabilities in a lot more efficient way. So again, so repositioning fleets, repos- repositioning them in kind of an, an automated way, something that's um, really, really interesting for us. And then we have the exact mirror uh, of that going on in the logistics industry, right? Mm-hmm. So we, um, we, are, we also look at goods. And so um, one of the interesting trends right now is... Um, you know, instant, instant delivery of supermarket stuff and, um, you know, the gorillas of the world. And that's certainly very exciting. But it, as a consumer, you don't appreciate the, the, the logistical complexity of what's going on behind the scenes and, um, and the challenges there. And so we made an investment in a company called Pulpo, um, which uh, is a software as a service business, which provides warehouse optimization platform. And what's really great about their solution is that with this new genre of last mile delivery, they rely heavily on non-traditional warehouses in dense urban environments. So it's like, you know, the abandoned retail store and like the downtown area. And then they have like a, you know, a young operator coming in there who doesn't, maybe hasn't run a warehouse, quote unquote, before, mm-hmm. and is supposed to set up this like warehouse in, a, in like a dark warehouse, they call them like dark warehouses, right? Mm-hmm. And the traditional warehouse uh, management solutions, you know, provided by like a giant company like an Oracle and costs like, you know, $6 million to set up and takes, you know, whatever, three months and have to send someone on premise. And like, there's no way that you, that makes any sense from a financial perspective or even operationally. And so what these guys did at Popo is they, they have a kind of a mobile first solution. You can kind of, you know, you can set up the warehouse by drawing your finger on, on the mobile phone of like what the stacks look like. And, you know, like literally like, the person who's never set up a warehouse before can quickly do that and they can run it all through their phone and then they can even use their phone as the, you know, the scanning device. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe they have like high-end, I don't know if you've ever seen like the, the red barcodes or everything. Mm-hmm. Those are really expensive and kind of difficult to use apparently. And so you can, you can use your phone for that anywhere. So in other words, you can manage your whole warehouse with a phone. And so that type of software solution is ideally, solu- you know, suited to the new world that we're living in. Right. And these new forms of so so again, this operational efficiencies in the in the back end. So those would be kind of a few areas that we're excited about. 
a few areas that we've started to invest in. Um, and, um, and we're, yeah, and we're, and we're looking at other themes right now too, that are just, that we're just starting to get our, get our minds wrapped around. Mm -hmm. And, um, you are basically like, what's your, what's your, um, bottleneck in your business? You described how, and everybody has that and something else for everybody, but you described how there are, um, these, these inbound leads and you need to sift through, um, and basically you have this insane ratio of about a hundred. Uh, to one from taking a deeper look to um, being able to make an um, investment. Um, but um, basically, I guess investor life goes in phases almost a bit like startup life in terms of like finding funding, then finding clients, and then finding funding again. Um, and uh, you are, I guess, towards the end of this um, um, fundraising um, cycle um, now. Um, what has that been like easy uh, difficult uh, who uh, were, were unexpected parties that in the end were important not in terms of names but in terms of like categories um, for this kind of um, event and was there anything um, yeah, kind of to learn from maybe for also non-investors looking to raise for their businesses Yeah. So um, first of all, I think in general, it feels very similar being in a fund and fundraising and being an entrepreneur in fundraising. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, what I try to remind the entrepreneurs is, you know, we're investing our own money, but we also have partners in the fund and we're investing their money on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And we have that responsibility and we have to go out and spend time, you know, building those relationships and finding those, finding those individuals who want to join us in the journey. And, and it's a very similar kind of approach. And it's definitely phases, right? Like, I mean, we went through this really intense fundraising phase. Now we're starting to deploy some of that capital. Um, but, you know, if you go through multiple fund cycles and then you go to next fund generation, you, you, the fundraising continues, right? I, mm -hmm. I don't really think that really ends. And then, of course, you, have, you, you, you are committed to, and this is a part of the job, interacting with those investors and bringing them along in terms of, um, what, you know, what you're doing and everything. So it's not just a, we'll see you in 10 years and let you know how it goes. Like that's an ongoing relationship and a commitment we have. Um, I think the difference between what I found, the difference between fundraising for, uh, funds, uh, in our, in our case and in being an entrepreneur, well, first of all, our fund is a very niche fund, right? It's, it's like European mobility, <laughs> B2B early stage. You can't get more specific than that. And that was a decision we took that we wanted to be extremely focused because a, that was working for our first fund, like financially, it was performing really well. And, and, and also it's something we believe in. So, so it's like, okay, well, let's not go more general. Let's just try to stay focused. Mm -hmm. And the, the cost of that is that it excludes a lot of investors, to be frank. So you have a conversation with an investor who has a very generalist fund, or in this case, they call themselves fund of funds. Um, and they're looking to invest in other funds. And they say, guys, we love you. We love what you're doing. This just seems really cool. But like, This is very specific. Mm -hmm. Like we, we're looking for, you know, broad exposure to tech in Europe or, you know, maybe even more broadly, like, I don't know, energy transition, not like at that level, not mobility, which would be like a subtopic of energy transition. And then a subtopic of mobility would be like European mobility and then another one. Would be. So it's very, very specific. But for the investors that really, really are kind of more related to that industry, have exposure to that because of, you know, family legacy or um, have an existing kind of investment because they're an energy company or a large automotive company or their manufacturer. Those are kind of examples of our types of um, investors or limited, called so-called limited partners. Um, this is a highly relevant area for them because they want exposure to the European ecosystem and specifically what we do within that. And that really resonates. So once we spend a lot of time trying to find those individuals where that really resonates and then we get 
in theory, over time, we've gotten like better at targeting those people and spending more time in relevant conversations. But you still have a lot where it's kind of like very cool, but like too specific. And then, so that's kind of one thing to mention about uh, difference between or from a fundraising perspective for the fund. But in general, what I found is that it's a little bit different expectations for so-called fund of funds investing in funds than it is VC funds investing in startups and that a typical bias, and I'm just going to just broadly say this, a typical bias is um, you're not necessarily given a bunch of bonus points for being, I believe, like, and kind of, uh, you know, a more experienced founder. Like if you've done it like, you know, three or four times, maybe people will say, oh, like, that's great. Like they have some track record. But if it's a first time founder that's got a great company that's really showing good traction in a highly relevant space that is like from a high level, just evolving very like they're probably, if they're persistent, going to be able to find capital out there. And then it's not really counted against you that, you know, you're a first time founder. Like think of all the successful companies and how many of them were quote unquote first time tech founders. Like pretty much everyone was, well, okay. A lot of them are first time, are first time founders. Um, but in the fund space, a, a general bias that I've seen is that if you don't, if you're not on like your third or fourth fund and you're not of a certain age, and you don't have a certain amount of data to show that you've done exactly this for, you know, 30 years, it can be harder to raise larger sums of money mm-hmm. faster. And I think that's a, a, a bit, almost a bit ironic because it's like you then, you take money from investors that are saying, well, if you haven't done this for three or four funds over 30 years, which by the way, this mobility industry hasn't even really existed for 30 years, so that would be hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't done that for 30 years, um, then probably we'll just wait until you've done that for mm-hmm. a, a longer period of time. But then you turn around and you invest the money in oftentimes first-time founders, and a lot of them are really successful. So it's kind of a disconnect there, right, in terms of the expectations. So it's an interesting difference, kind of, yeah. And then I, I believe in your case, um, there are uh, two other partners uh, next to you, and you kind of compensate a little bit by basically they have also longer investment, especially one of them, very long investment experience, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's like a team, and that's another uh, similarity to startups. And mm-hmm. I really believe in this: is like you want to have diverse teams in all aspects if you possibly can. Um, and one aspect of that is um, different skill sets, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm actually not a financial investor mm-hmm. guy. I am more of an operator, and that's mm-hmm. the skill set I bring. And my partners are more financial in, in nature, and I think that's really helpful, mm-hmm. right? And um, let's talk a little bit about like the sourcing side, and now um, about the side of okay, finding those great ideas. You got an impressive amount of inbound already now, but um, what, uh, from your perspective, are some of the best? channels, maybe also events um, to um, yeah, update our own understanding of the industry, specifically now um, um, new mobility in Europe, maybe even B2B, not the more obvious consumer brands. Like, what do you like to read? Where, where, where do you hope to go this year still in the coming uh, nine months to um, be stay up to date, basically, and not miss anybody? Yeah. So, I mean, shameless promotion, but we talk about the mobility, the Wonder Mobility Summit a lot with our... <laughs> that, that was not... <laughs> no, I know you were... The intention, but... <laughs> I promised the listeners we did not discuss this beforehand. Um, but it, it's in, tr- it, in, in truth, when we, we talk to our partners and, and, and our portfolio companies, you know, one kind of event that stands out is, you know, in terms of attracting operators of mobility businesses is the summit because it, it is explicitly for people that run mobility businesses, mm-hmm. right? And that's something that I think is unique. Um, and there are other uh, events too um, that um, where you can meet, you know, B two, of course, B two B businesses, but it's not as filtered, let's say, mm-hmm. um, as that. Um, in terms of what do you reckon? Like, are the probably top events 
uh, in Europe maybe still coming up this year? Is there something that you're like, okay, if, you, if you're not into this at all, but you want to take one trip or two trips, maybe you should go here? Yeah, so for sure, um, Move London okay. coming up in June and yeah. Micromobility, if you're kind of into the, you know, micro, whole Micromobility is extremely interesting. Micromobility Amsterdam, Amsterdam, first and second of June yeah. and Move London like 15, 16 15, 16, of, yeah. Uh, June and yeah, that would be those are kind of two hot spots. And then mm -hmm. we just missed autonomy, um, but that's also probably mm -hmm. you know yeah. for sure one of the places to be yeah. um, in in the the European ecosystem. Absolutely, yeah, I tend to agree. And those are fairly new formats in a way, so it's also quite interesting um, and definitely seems like gotten super relevant so quickly. Yeah. What do you like to read? Like, what's your like the best thing you subscribe to? Maybe. So I'm I'm a huge podcast guy, and mm -hmm. this is kind of funny being on a podcast now, but I love podcasts. Um, I think the Micromobility podcast is great if mm -hmm. you've had a chance to listen to mm -hmm. it. Um, they've got um, uh, you know great great interviews on there. They get really substantial, like into the actual mm -hmm. business models. So I I would I would definitely recommend that. Um, yeah, I mean we we get. A lot of our, I mean, so we're in a we're in a fortunate position in that we get a lot of our um, information about what's on the cutting edge based on um, what's coming inbound to 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 us and being referred to us by other funds and other founders. And so we're fielding a lot of like, I mean, honestly, it sounds really simple, but like I'm getting like WhatsApp messages every day from people in the industry that are asking me, "Hey, have you looked at this? Or what do you think about that?" And and that's a and that's a big kind of part of the ability to have that kind of conversation and ask people that are in sort of different networks than myself um, exactly the question that you're asking me, like what's really interesting and what are you seeing? And so I'm getting a lot of my information in, in that way. And Indirect conversation more or less. Could yeah. Be like WhatsApp, whatever, initiative stuff, but you're basically, I assume, like talking to a lot of different people over the course of one week. Yeah, literally. I mean, I'm just literally talking to people. I mean, that's a big part. You know, someone asked me recently, um, they were thinking about getting into venture capital. They were like, you know, what do you, what's the, what do you do? Like, what does that actually look like? I'm like, well, actually, it's, it involves a lot of talking and asking questions. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's like 80% of the time I'm asking questions and I'm listening and I'm trying to ask, like, what do you think about that? Or, mm. you know, what do you think is the challenge in this context and everything? Mm. And then I'm getting kind of ideas in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Awesome. Um, what's your um, prediction um, for next year or like year and a half? Um, what's something that um, is overlooked that's... Um, We should have more on the radar, either that we think is coming, but uh, it's really not, or that um, people are not considering enough yet in That's, terms of new mobility in Europe. Yeah, so it's an interesting. Uh, so, so the other this week, I got a question from one of our partners um, who was saying, you know, um, they said, you know, these are the areas that we're think we're looking at diving into more. Uh, one of them was financial services, the other was logistics, and then the, the third was sharing. And they said, you know, do you think that these are the appropriate kind of, kind of, uh, let's say, high-level themes for for us that we should be looking? And not not for for this specific organization, not necessarily um, are these the only themes in mobility, right? And I said, um, yeah, I think relative to you know your kind of uh, your kind of unfair advantages, let's say that you have. Um, And, and, and experiences you have, I think those are the appropriate areas for sure. So I think you guys have done a great job identifying them. I would just add a, a fourth category, which is mix all three of those together. <laughs> so like, what do you mean by that? So, so what I mean by that is have a logistics component with financial services, um, with sharing, <laughs> like add all three of those. And that's, a, that's an interesting category by itself, right? Not as separate buckets. And so what I mean by that is, You know, when you look at the um, the Zumos of the world, like mm -hmm. Z, Z or Z O O M O in Australia, mm -hmm. 
um, or Docker is another example of this in, um, in, in the Netherlands. Um, there's a couple of folks that are emerging, and basically what they offer is um, uh, commercial vehicles on subscription, right? So as I, as I referred to, um, you know, I referred to the sort of explosion of delivery, last mile delivery, and sort of the sub-technologies and everything that are related to that. There's this, there's this component of like, how do we enable a, a more diverse, a greater diversity of vehicles, depending on the use case that can serve the delivery use case. So not just like every time we deliver something, it's a van. It doesn't make sense in a lot of contexts in Europe, right? I mean, you might have a, like a cargo bike or you might have a delivery van or you might have a car or you might have something between a car and a, and a small cargo bike, which is like the new types of vehicle form factors that are emerging. And these companies are effectively offering sort of very simple, like fixed monthly rates, like, hey, like if you want to be a, you know, if you want to, if you want to do delivery for these any types of services for like 200 euros a month, like you can rent this bike and you can make as many deliveries as you want. And that's a really kind of underappreciated, I think, category because um, um, there's going to be a lot of jobs created that, or at least maybe not full-time jobs necessarily, but there's going to be a lot of effort that's going into that area. Um, there's a huge amount of demand for uh, extra drivers for doing delivery services. There's a demand for more convenience after COVID and people realized how awesome it is many times to order things online. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we're going to see a lot more of those types of companies emerge in the, in the next uh, six to 12 months. So you're saying pay attention to B2B solutions around micro mobility for delivery. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Yeah. And, 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 and unique ways to finance that. Right. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's already an improvement if you don't have to, let's say lease or buy like a 20,000 euro car to do deliveries. Um, That's, you know, if, if you could, you know, buy a three to 4,000 euro, you know, cargo bike, that's already an improvement. But then, you know, breaking it down further and saying there's no long-term commitment, like just rented by the month. And it's like, quote unquote, only like 200 euros. I think it's the pricing of Docker 250 or something like that. That's pretty interesting. Um, and it has a lot of knock-on effects in terms of like, you know, convenience and, uh, and, and air quality in cities and traffic and all this other kind of stuff, right? Um, that, that's really relevant. Awesome. Oh, it's been interesting. I think uh, that's a that's a very interesting perspective, like switching um, sides from the entrepreneur operator side to the investor side, noticing a little bit what's similar, but also what's different and maybe even kind of harder to get into that kind of expectation of being on the cutting edge and like ideally maybe some operate experience, but also on your whatever X uh, fund. So that's kind of squaring the, squaring the circle. And then uh, now, um, yeah, having... A job where, as you describe, uh, it's uh, a big part of it is to be in conversation and um, and uh, doing all that in such a kind of narrow, uh, clear um, focus, um, I think could be fascinating for a lot of um, people who are um, getting started also around your um, seat towards Series A um, stage to um, exchange with you and probably could point them to... Um, a lot of um, other things you've um, seen and then eventually um, appreciate their relatively lower valuation to <laughs> other examples you've seen in other parts of the world. Yeah, so that's always a touchy topic, right? Because uh, putting myself in the shoes of the founders, that's not necessarily always a good thing. But, but it's, I think it's, it's all correlated with uh, what the ecosystems um, yeah, still are in the end of the day, also in terms of um, salaries and relative market sizes. I mean, it's still a bit harder maybe to overcome um, kind of country borders in Europe versus home market in the US and all that. So yeah, for sure. Hopefully and uh, that will be justified. So. Yeah. And we're like a hands-on investor too. And our goal is not to, it's not just to, you know, get the lowest price possible and then 
piece out, so to speak, or, or just ignore it. I mean, our goal is to contribute as much as we can to making it a success. And then our, our firm belief is that we can contribute a lot. And then in the end, if everyone's successful, we're in the same boat, kind of. But the very first fund you mentioned has been uh, a big success so far. And I hope, so all the best for the current one, the bigger one, um, that it returns similarly. And yeah, it was great catching up with you again. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for doing that. I uh, really enjoyed the time today and would just uh, you know offer to to the listeners if there's anyone with a Uh, mobility startup that wants to get in touch with us, just go to mobility.fund. That's the website, mobility.fund. Um, and just, you know, send us an email and we'd be happy to, to chat and give you and see how we can help. And then, you know, same way to reach us if you're interested, uh, if you're a potential partner of ours, either an investor or, or other, just, you know, feel free to reach out to us and, and we'd love to, love to stay in touch. Thank you. 